The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. muted myself. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Welcome everybody to Wednesday and welcome Dr. Grampichet. Good morning and thank you. I got so excited watching. I, I love the new countdown before we start. I, I feel like we're at NASA and you know I love me some NASA like, like we're going to launch. I got so excited I didn't unmute myself. Uh, thrilled to be here with Dr. Grampiche. Thrilled to be here with all of you. We're going to be with you live for the next hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. And of course, we call this segment on Wednesdays, Ask Dr. Doreen, because Dr. Doreen is here with us. And if you do not know Dr. Doreen, she's an expert in the field of autism. She's the founder of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. She is also the founder of Autism Care Today, a wonderful nonprofit organization. We're going to be talking with you about more in the coming months as we get up to the holidays and all the wonderful things that they do. But she is a brilliant mind, I uh, say, and I'm not the only one who says that she's a visionary in the field of autism. She's been able to see around corners for multiple decades now to help all of us that have kiddos on the spectrum. She's a wonderful advocate for individuals who are on the spectrum, has been talking about how important it is to look at them as individuals and look at them as whole people and see them as people who will need uh, to ex experience all the joys in life, including a job, and that we all need to be paving the way for that. So she's been doing that for many, many, many years, and she's here with us for this next hour to answer your questions in real time. And we are already having uh, lots of questions come in, which I'm really excited about. Uh, but I really want to start with one that came in in the night, Dr. Grampichet. Uh, oh, first we have to give the disclaimer. And I know that you wanted to give the disclaimer today. Do you still want to do that or you want me to do it? Well, I wanted to just say that um, I, uh, first of all, yes, it's it's difficult for me to give extremely accurate advice because I don't know your children and I have uh, unfortunately have not spent time with them. So please, when I give advice on this show, uh, take it with a grain of salt. Let's put it that way. It's got to be general. It has to be general, general. because you don't have eyes on. So, and, and that would be true of any expert. So we, we do need to, to say that. And I also, Shannon wanted to just say that I know that there are other parents on who join us on on the chat and they have advice as well and I also want to caution our parents regarding that because I know as a parent myself that oftentimes we think that our own experiences are very relevant to those of others and but let me tell you that as someone who's seen thousands and thousands of children um, advice, you have to be very cautious about advice. No two children are the same. And so uh, please, uh, as when, when folks on the chat, and perhaps they're not even parents, perhaps they're, they're other providers, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that our patient, that our families who are, who are listening and are um, reading the advice on the chat, just know that uh, you know, we we want to be uh, giving you advice on the show as best as we can, uh, given our very limited knowledge of <clears throat> your children. And uh, we will do the best we can. Just be very cautious with, with the advice that's coming in on the chat, because I do also see a lot of different uh, folks uh, writing in different uh, 
uh, types of guidance, which might be a little confusing. Yeah. Um, and, I, and that goes for me too, you guys, you know, I, I, on the other days of the week, I do a whole spiel about the fact that, you know, I host the show, but I'm not an expert in autism. I'm another parent. Um, and it's really important that uh, I always try to acknowledge that even though I tell you stories about my child, my child is not the same as yours. So please uh, listen to Dr. Pampichet and take your advice very carefully. Uh, I, I do want to just do some shout outs here that we're loving uh, seeing Love Life here, Jeremy and uh, Sultan. Uh, we're thrilled that you guys are here and I'm going to be getting to some of your questions. I do want to start with a question, as I said, that came in in the night. My daughter is 28, so an adult with autism and went from talking all of her life to not saying a word for about five months now. Uh, not doing anything with her hygiene also. How do I get her to shower and to talk again? Okay. Um, well, if your daughter has been talking uh, all of her life and she is 28 years old and you are noticing a very significant difference in her behavior over the past five months, um, without knowing her, without having seen her, I would have to conclude that she might be experiencing depression as a result of COVID. Uh, five months is just too much of a coincidence. Um, you know, uh, we all kind of started experiencing uh, quarantine around, uh, what was it, middle of March, I think. And a lot of people, and that would be about six months away, ago, six and a half months or so, seven months maybe. And it does, maybe maybe the first month uh, might have not been so tough on everyone because we were kind of expecting things to change. But by now, um, I have actually seen a lot of increase in depression uh, in a lot of our folks, a lot of our patients. And I will say that, and, and it's understandable um, and I want to say that when you have something as sudden as she, she doesn't want to talk to us and also she's given up on hygiene, giving up on hygiene is a very clear sign that there's maybe some uh, depression going on. Um, and there's, uh, you know, things like not wanting to uh, take care of oneself, not wanting to get out of bed, not being motivated to do anything. Those types of things are more related to depression. So, um, I mean, I'm happy to give you some advice on how to manage depression, but I would really recommend that you uh, try to get to see a psychiatrist and uh, evaluate if she would benefit from uh, antidepressant medication. Um, and those medications are many, and many of them are effective right now. They would have to determine what would be, be which one would be best for her. These are the uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, like Prozac, uh, but there's many of them. And there's also SNRIs, which deal with serotonin and norepinephrine, which actually have a very, very positive effect on our kids. And those are things like Cymbalta. So I do recommend that you visit a psychiatrist with her. Um, and if you have a hard time going with her, uh, these days, psychiatrists are actually both doing uh, phone call, you know, Zoom calls as well. So <clears throat> you could start that way. But I, I think that's where you need to go. Um, and then in terms of what you can do behaviorally, I guess what you can do is reduce, uh, give her very small tasks and huge rewards. So um, maybe one small task would be, uh, I don't know, to brush your hair. I, and I'm just giving that as an example because you mentioned that she's not attending to hygiene. Uh, very small things that are easy to do and then a huge reward. And that usually becomes the problem with depression is that we can't find any rewards that are effective. So maybe even just start there. Um, we do have a, a document that we call our re reinforcement inventory, happy to share it with you. But 
we need to identify if she finds anything rewarding at the moment. And if she does, then you can use that uh, it, one of those reinforcers to, to get her to get started on, on getting motivated about life again. Wonderful. And, and since we're talking about depression, I just want to give a shout out to all the caregivers too, that not only are our kiddos sometimes dealing with depression, but we have a lot of caregivers who are dealing with depression right now. And that I, I do want to encourage everybody. It's really hard to be trying to help your kiddo if you're not taking care of yourself. It's that oxygen mask thing, you know, on the airplane. And, um, you know, I have, I have said on this show, I I'm usually, you know, as open as I can possibly be that when we started into COVID and my dear friend Joanne passed away and I was like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to do this by myself. I'm going to need to have somebody to talk to. And I've been pretty open about that. And what I love is that with telehealth, it's super duper easy and you have somebody that you can talk with. And um, my health insurance has waived the copay on the the telehealth for mental health because I think they know it's like going to save them a lot of money <laughs> run if they help us now. So um, really, really want to encourage everybody. Usually on um, it's the one thing you don't have to get a referral for is mental health on the back of your insurance card. There should be a number that you can call for mental health. And I really want to encourage everybody to, if you need it, take advantage of it. Um, and, and even if you, you're not sure that you need it, if you can take advantage of it right now, it's a really good thing to have a safe place to at least talk about things with people and talk through them. Because there's a lot going on right now. And for our yeah. caregivers, there's, there's extra going on. So um, I, I want to get to some of these questions that we have here. Uh, first of all, somebody wrote in and said, I love Wednesdays with Dr. Doreen. Even when I can't think of a specific question to ask, like today, I always hear very useful information. She's a wealth of knowledge. I agree with you. And she says, thank you both for helping so many of us and our kiddos. My son is five and a half and doing amazing. His ABA center is wonderful and he is progressing so much. He's even trying to imitate sounds now. I guess I do have a question. How can I foster this? He doesn't always get the sounds right, but I want to reinforce him without reinforcing the incorrect sound. Uh, and so do you want to start there? Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And congrats. And th first of all, thank you very much. I, I, it's very, very meaningful to me when I get, uh, uh, reinforcers from the families. I appreciate that. That's uh, one of my most fun things to do is to answer questions and, and spend time with parents. Uh, so uh, I, you can reward uh, the sounds and it, don't worry right now. So usually with an ABA program, we focus on different stages of what we're, you know, you're shaping his, the behavior, right? So initially, just rewarding any sound uh, is great. Then it's it just rewarding imitations and it, don't worry if the imitation is not perfect. That's kind of a, a later stage. So if, if talk to your ABA uh, provider and supervisor and just ask and say, is it okay for me right now? What stage are we at? Are we at the point where we're rewarding all imitations? Or are we past that? And are we at the point where we need to shape the imitations to be more perfect? So, um, and they'll tell you, and then you can engage with that. But I'm very excited for you. Uh, this is wonderful. And after imitation, you will be hopefully going to manding uh, and tacting, which is basically uh, requesting things and starting to uh, shape uh, labels of objects, which is fabulous. And, and I love it that he's doing that. Congratulations. Enjoy the ride. Wonderful. Uh, and she just froze on me. I hope we get her back. There she is. Okay. Uh, we have a question. Somebody is saying that their son is three years old and he struggles to make the L sound as in lollipop. And yeah. any ideas? Yeah, that's okay. I wouldn't worry too much. L is a very complicated sound. It comes a little bit later. Uh, usually L and R are confused with each other. Uh, this is one, if, if you, 
you know, so if you have an ABA program going on, you might have therapists uh, try to improve the imitation of the L sound. But if they can't, then this is the kind of thing that you would benefit from having a speech therapist, a speech path, work on the L sound just because um, it's a L and R are very interesting in the sense that it's just a the where you place the tip of your tongue that differentiates the sound. So um, if either your ABA therapists, uh, if they can do that and show him exactly how to place his tongue in the right location to produce that sound, great. If they can't, this is the kind of thing that a speech path would have would do in in two minutes. It's an easy discrimination to teach. Now, having said that, I wouldn't really worry about it just now. Uh, three is very young, and uh, it's pretty common that the pronunciation of L would be difficult for kids at three. Yeah. And I, and I just want to say, you know, I've never, I'm not a speech pathologist. I never worked with little kids, but one of the things that I did, one of the things that I taught in college is, um, speech for actors and correcting where their placement of uh, things is for adults. And there are tons of exercises that strengthen the tip of the tongue um, and you, the things that you can do with little kids. And there's stuff on Pinterest about it, whether, you know, it's, it's playing tongue games where you stick your tongue out and then they, you got try to get them to imitate that if you stick your tongue I don't want to stick my tongue out for all of you because that we don't, there's enough violence on television. Right. So, uh, but you know, to get them to imitate and things as simple as licking a lollipop or a popsicle, strengthen the tongue. Um, you know, we've had people put pudding on their kids lips and, and have them have a contest to lick it off and do it with other kids. I mean, there's tons of exercises just for the tongue, but, um, but I think Dr. Grant Pichet is right at three. It's, not really something to worry about. Okay, I, let's move. Now, now that you brought that up, and I, I know we're, I'm going to skip for a minute and come back, but I just saw another question come up from the mom who was talking about uh, the child now starting to imitate sounds and whether or not she could reward love life. Yes. Yeah. So I just, because what you were talking about is also very relevant here. So if this is a child who is already manding and tacting non-vocally and is now just starting to imitate, that's great. You should be doing a lot of these pre-verbal exercises that Shannon was just talking about. Those tend to get sound production going a little bit faster. So uh, we call them pre-verbals, but there's a lot of these oral motor exercises, uh, movement of the tongue, uh, you know, using vibrating nook inside the mouth, uh, sticking the tongue out and all that sort of stuff. I really suggest you do a lot of that because uh, if he's already gone to the point where he's mastered the concept of manding and tacting and even intraverbals, that's fantastic. That means you're just delayed by probably apraxia, which is kind of the movement of the tongue. So let's really give him some exercise in the mouth and try to get his vocals caught up. Um, the other thing I would suggest you want to make sure, and maybe you already have, is to check his hearing. Because if his imitation is a little bit off from, from what they're trying to get him to imitate, he could be hearing it differently. So uh, if you haven't done that, make sure you do that as well. Okay, wonderful. We're saying hi to Ryan, Get, doing a shout out to Ryan. Uh, when we were talking about a, uh, depression, somebody wrote in and said, I heard that vitamin D is good for depression. I know everyone is different. I take it because I also heard scientists say that it helps keep COVID away and it helps during the winter months because we get less sunlight. Do you believe this also? There are things I've heard that I'm not 100% sure about, but vitamins can't hurt anyone, right? Correct. I, I, it, my friends, if you saw the number of vitamins I take every day, <laughs> I'm a very big believer that supplements, unfortunately, because our food source is not very good. So vitamin D um, does help. One type of depression, which does have to do with not being having access to the sun. So in cold places and in like dark, rainy climates, 
uh, vitamin D is, is always recommended. Um, and you are right that people have been saying that vitamin D is good right now for COVID. I have also read that. Uh, so, and also uh, there's, there is, it's funny with vitamin D, there used to be uh, a lot of science and literature about how it can be harmful for the liver years ago. And then they came up and said, no, we're, we've decided to change our minds <laughs> and you can take 50,000 milligrams of vitamin D a, a week, which is a lot. So uh, a lot of people take about 5,000 a day, which is about 25,000 a week, which is totally fine. And yes, you could even take double that. So um, as an adult. And yeah, I, I don't see a harm in taking a lot of vitamins unless you're going above what's prescribed. But I, I agree. I mean, we need our vitamins. They certainly do help. Okay. I want to go to this wonderful, uh, we've got somebody who wrote in and said, my son is six and a half years old, nonverbal. We live in a part of the world where we don't have much knowledge about ASD, nor do we have uh, therapy services. They uh, live in a small village in uh, the north of Pakistan. Uh, and they said, coming back to my son, he loves books, especially the English alphabet, and he spends hours looking at them. He doesn't have any sense of danger. And even uh, whenever he sees water, he gets excited and tries to jump into it. Is it common with ASD children that they love water a lot? Oh, gosh. Okay. Let's yeah. start. <laughs> yeah. First of all, welcome. And we love having you with us on this show. And thank you for joining us. I don't know how you found us, but I'm really happy that you're here. And we're going to do our best to uh, guide you, uh, not just today, but I hope you will keep coming back so we can keep things moving. So uh, he is six and a, five, six and a half and, and nonverbal. And it sounds like you're kind of just starting uh, to do some things to, to try to help him. Uh, you're from Pakistan. I understand where you're coming from. I am, I'm from originally from Iran. So I know that uh, the, that part of the world in general is pretty far behind when it comes to understanding autism and treating autism. I know that. So uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we don't care about labels. It's about identifying what your child needs to learn and then using, uh, I guess I call it the language of ABA uh, to teach him those things. So uh, right now, before we get into too much on how to teach your child, I wanna recommend that you try to teach yourself first. So um, I'd like to uh, offer you to go to two separate websites. I would start with IBT's website, which is the Institute for Behavioral Training. And their website is ibehavioraltraining.com. Thank you very much, Traven, um, for putting that up. So ibehavioraltraining.com. And there, I really want you to go through the first 10 or so training modules for parents, which will talk about autism. It'll talk about ABA and what is ABA and how does it, how does it work? And then it'll start to teach you actually the basic premises of ABA and how to get your child to come and sit down, how you need to have a list of reinforcers that your child is interested in, how you can shape behavior gradually, how you break down every task. All these things are super important to, to learn because that's gonna be the way that you will teach your child going forward, okay? And then once you've learned some of this stuff, I think your second step should be to go on another website called Skills for Autism. So www.skillsforautism.com. And there you will uh, become a member and you will start to uh, answer questions about your child. And uh, you'll put in your child's date of birth and it'll start giving you questions across the board, like 
on everything, on language, social, play, you name it, all these different areas. And you will say yes or no. The questions are things like, can your child talk? And you'll say no. Can your child play with other kids? And you'll say no, and so on. And everything that you say no to goes into a pile of things that need to be taught. So what you're doing by answering that assessment is you are building a curriculum for your child. You're building a a kind of program, right? And so you'll do all of that. There's another section on skills that's important as well. If your child has a lot of challenging behaviors like tantruming and hitting and all that, and that is what's called the CIFA or CARD's Indirect Functional Assessments. That's on Skills website. And when you answer questions there, you'll start to learn about why your child has the challenging behaviors they have. For example, if a child hits, you might realize, oh, he only hits when we place the demand on him. So what he's trying to do is get out of the demand. Or he might hit when he's with other kids and you'll realize, oh, he's hitting because he wants the toy they have. And so you start to learn a little bit about why our kids do the challenging behaviors. And that links to another uh, part of the website, which is a, a BIP builder, which is sort of a behavior intervention plan. So that section tells you what to do anytime a behavior behavior occurs. So now you've learned how to do a little bit of ABA from IBT, and you've figured out what your child's uh, challenging behaviors are, and you're, you're in the process of answering that assessment, so you're figuring out everything your child needs to learn. Now I need you to go and find friends or neighbors or family or people who are going to help you uh, because you can't do this alone. It could be teachers as well, but these are people who have to be uh, supportive, available, and willing to learn. And I would just put together a team of people who are going to help you. Um, so this, all you need is about four or five people, honestly. You don't need a whole bunch of people, but five people who each offer you something around 10 hours of their time in a week would be ideal, would be fantastic. And if you can put that team together and then start having them watch what you saw on IBT and start learning, and IBT has hundreds of training modules. So you can get everybody to start watching together and get them more and more advanced training. Then now you have a team. You guys know how to work within the spectrum of autism and you've learned some ABA. And you have a program from skills, which is going to guide you and tell you how to progress. And now you should be able to, and we're happy to answer your questions here as well, but you should be able to start actually teaching your child all the things, not just the vocalization, but a lot of things that he needs. So let's start trying to do that. And as for, um, I think there was a, a the, water. the water. Yeah, there, a lot of kids enjoy sensory uh, stimulation of different kinds. Um, If he likes to jump into water, now you know that the sensory contact, the tactile stimulation on his skin or the pressure on his skin from water is a reward. It's a reinforcer. So use it as a reinforcer. In other words, once you get started and once he starts to do things like imitating sounds or Uh, showing items that he wants by touching them or pointing to them or actually vocalizing objects the way you want, things that he will get out of his ABA program, then make sure that you regularly take him and reward him by letting him jump in the water and play for a little while as as a reward for having had a good day. Long answer. Uh, Long answer, but an important one. And I have to be Debbie Downer and add something to that which is that the number one cause of death in individuals with autism is drowning. 
Mm. And that our kids will, who are sensory seekers and seek water, we have to be particularly Very careful that, they, that you got to make sure that he's safe and that do everything that you can so that you do not become a part of that statistic. Because we've had so many kids who will sneak away in whatever way they can and get into water. It means, and there's like a five prong thing that I don't know if Dr. Grampiche wants to talk about, but you can't just put locks on your doors. That yeah. has not been found to be effective. You can't just teach them how to swim. I mean, you need to do both of those things, but you need to do them together while teaching them other skills like being able to request help, to being able to communicate. I want to go to the water. I'm uncomfortable right now. You need to be doing ABA, teaching them how to swim, teaching them danger and, um, and safety, and you've got to protect them by putting locks and alarms everywhere. Did I leave anything out, Dr. Grampy Shang? No, no, not at all, Shannon, but I, because this family is from Pakistan, I'm wondering if it's, it's a swimming pool or it's more likely a, a lake nearby. So uh, I guess you kind of have to uh, take our advice and modify it to, to fit what conditions you're, you're under. There you but go. Yeah, extremely important. And I, I will say it's, it's one of those things we hate to talk about, but it's very, very true. And I have over the years had unfortunately three different children that I know. Of course, we have thousands of children that I meet at CARD, but we've had three different children. Uh, who even in the middle of the night when their parents were asleep, when everyone was asleep, uh, little little ones uh, uh, went uh, over to the pool and, and unfortunately didn't make it. It's one of the most, it's a river, yeah. So I, I really suggest that you make sure that he's, uh, your child is never really alone um, and, and, uh, you know, doesn't have the ability to go there without adult, uh, supervision. But I, but I do think that even, you know, even for a river, one of the first things that they do here in the States is they teach children and they teach them how to swim in their clothing with their shoes on. And they teach them how to, with clothing and shoes, get when you're in the pool, how to relax and turn over onto your back so that you can float as a survival skill. So that if you're in the water and you've gone in with your shoes on that, you know, you know to get on your back and float. And that has saved some kids, you know, and gotten them enough time so that somebody could find them. So, you know, I, I, I know Debbie Downer, but let me also pause for a second because you were talking about IBT and skills to give you this week's message from them about what they are offering because they offer free stuff every week to you guys. This week, they say for our ABA parents and guardians, we would like to offer our free IBT parent e-learning course, Parent Getting Started. So that is free this week. Every week, it's something different. For educators in the uh, community, we're offering our IBT educator e-learning modules, educator training, uh, excuse me, educator teaching communication, and that's available to educators at absolutely no charge. Get your pencils ready because I'm going to give you guys a phone number. Um, they are continuing to offer their registered behavior technician 2.0 training course free for parent audience on a case-by-case -case basis, which means you've got to call and request it. That's a 440 some odd dollar um, value. Wow. It's the, the course that therapists um, take as they're working towards their registered behavior technician status. It's really great. It's a 40 hour course. I encourage parents to take it, but you have to call and ask for it and demonstrate that you're ready to do the 40 hour commitment. In addition, they're offering a 10% discount on all skills products for anybody that says that they heard about us on Autism Live, you just call and you say, you know, Shannon sent me, say, I want the friends and family program. And now I'm going to give you the phone number and I'm going to give it twice here, 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877-975-4559. And if you are out of the country and that is not going to work for you. A phone number, all you have to do is email me 
uh, s.penrod at autism-live.com. And I think Traven will put that up on the screen in just a second here for you. You can email me and I will, for there it is. Thank you, Traven. And I will forward that over to the folks at CARD, uh, excuse me, not CARD, IBT and skills. Okay, let's get back to questions because you guys have been writing in furiously while we were talking about all of this. Uh, my 11-year-old becomes more and more anxious. Any ideas? Uh, yeah, I, on that one, we're going to need a little bit more detail. If it's uh, if you could let us know when, under what conditions he gets anxious and also how are you defining the anxiety? What, what do you okay. see that we're calling anxious? So we will come back to that when they write in. Uh, a person wrote in and said, I was diagnosed with Asperger's. I was prescribed Risperidol for seven years now. I have tardive dyskinesia. What could help? Does CBD oil help with tremors, anxiety, and to help me relax? I I'm 20 years old, um, and they say that they're being made fun of, and they're having trouble making friends and any suggestions. Oh, yeah, that is upsetting. And uh, so I, I don't know if you are on Risperdal right now. It's unusual to have Risperdal when you have a diagnosis of Asperger's. But, uh, and I'm, I'm really sorry that you're struggling with tardive dyskinesia as a result of that. I, I uh, feel bad about that uh, for um, many reasons. So what I would uh, suggest, yes, CBD oil does help some people, I have heard. Um, but there are so many other things that are more effective than that that I would recommend if you're experiencing anxiety. Uh, there's lots of other things that are effective. So what I would suggest, and, and anxiety is a big deal in our, in our world. Let me just say that. Not only is it backed, is it like very prevalent due to all the conditions of life having changed, but in the world of autism, it's one of the main things that are, that we challenge, that we are challenged with. Uh, in fact, a, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, if you guys are on the Autism Research Institute, uh, Steve Edelson, together with another good friend, uh, Jane Johnson, just wrote a book on autism uh, and anxiety and how to manage anxiety within autism. I'm a very big believer that anxiety plays a very significant role uh, in autism. Um, and so what I would suggest is that you go down the path of doing the things that would be helpful for anyone, uh, Asperger's or not, who has anxiety. And so uh, the things that usually, that work the best for anxiety are a combined treatment of medication and uh, therapy. Uh, now, medication, usually you're looking at, um, again, what I was talking about before, SSRIs or SNRIs. There are other types of medications as well for acute anxiety. Um, but remember, don't get confused because the medication for depression and anxiety is the same. So they're actually called antidepressants, but they are the same medication that is used to treat anxiety, and they're extremely effective on both. But there's many different types, and you have to go through the different types until you find one that is effective. Uh, because every uh, each of these medications has just a different, different chemical shape. So uh, Prozac might not work, but Lexapro will, or Lexapro might not work, but Cymbalta will. You have to kind of consult with a psychiatrist and look at that. And it's very important because um, once you get the right medication, it is incredibly effective. So now I don't think that alone is sufficient. The other portion of this is therapy. And depending on what works for you, you choose the type of therapy. The, the common therapy that everybody says that, you know, scientifically is the most effective is what's called 
cognitive behavior therapy. It's very similar to ABA, but it's kind of a little bit more advanced. So it gives you exercises that have to do with identifying, for example, what are the things that make you anxious? And then when that thing is in your environment, you will have various other activities that you should be doing during that time. You'll have mental exercises, like not just things like breathing exercises, but also things like uh, visualizing a very peaceful environment or things like that, that'll help you, uh, you know, overcome that moment of anxiety. And if you learn these techniques and you're taking some form of antidepressant together, you will definitely overcome the anxiety. And honestly, it might even help with the tardive dyskinesia because a lot of times tardive dyskinesia is paired up together with anxiety as well. And then in terms of the not, uh, you know, being being made fun of and, and not having friends, I do want to say that they also wrote in and said that they've been taken off of the Risperidol uh, because of binge eating and massive weight gain. And now since I've been off it, I've lost 120 pounds. I'm so what proud. What an amazing thing. Yeah. That's incredible. And you know, be careful. Losing that much weight in a year is a lot. So uh, take it easy on your body. Uh, but that sounds pretty amazing. Congratulations right there. Now, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that whole uh, making friends and uh, being made fun of and all that sort of stuff. That's kind of a more complicated situation. And, you know, I can tell you a lot of things that you could do, but at the same time, to some extent, being made fun of and all that is not your fault. It's their fault. So it's kind of like you do the best you can socially, but there are going to be people out there who are not empathetic, not sympathetic and, you know, not kind. Um, and we all experience that to some extent. Yes, it makes it more difficult. Uh, everything you're going through will make things more difficult. I do recommend there are some, uh, and did we, do we know the age of 20, of 20, 20 years yeah. old? Yeah. So I think you should also contact the peers program at UCLA. Um, if you, uh, they ha do have a, an online social group. In fact, I think there's more and more of these online social groups for adults with Asperger's that are developing now, where you will have like three or four or five or six adults with Asperger's on the screen, as well as a, a moderator who is helping make sure everybody's communicating okay. And that might be a, a easier, uh, more comfortable way Way to, to begin socializing now. And the peers group at UCLA will definitely give you guidance about their program as well as perhaps other programs that you could join. Wonderful. Uh, somebody said, going back to skills, does CARD help with everything that is in skills, which the parent wishes CARD to help with? There are academics on skills, which parents can complete an assessment for the BCBA. Also, another question I have is, are there parents in countries where there's no access to ABA? Can they use skills and complete the RBT online? And will skills be able to generate a behavior intervention plan and a CIFA automatically without a BCBA meeting with a child in person? Yes, yes to all of that. So let me explain. So I guess the first part of it was, uh, yes, CART teaches everything that is in skills. Uh, when you're, but we are restricted by your funding. So if you are funded by a school district, then we, or privately, in other words, you're paying for the service, then yes, that your BCBA or your staff at CARD can actually work on all aspects of skills. If you're funded by a health insurance, then we are very specifically prohibited from working on academic skills because they consider that to be the responsibility of your school district. So the funding source dictates what portion we can work on, okay? Now the answer to the other individual, yes, in fact, 
I, we developed skills and IBT for exactly the purpose that you're mentioning. Uh, years and years ago, I very quickly realized that there's, you know, hundreds of families who are out in the world and have access, do not have any access to ABA. So we started writing all of our lessons and writing all of our training programs. And uh, you'll see some of the same stuff in our book, by the way, that we wrote on the CARD model, um, Evidence-Based Treatment for Autism and the CARD model. That's the book. And that book has all of this stuff in it as well. And we did it specifically for people who don't have access. You do not need a BCBA when you're in another country. Nobody recognizes the BCBA credential in other countries. It is an additional level of um, expertise, but you certainly can absolutely run your program yourself and uh, you can learn the things you need on IBT and you can follow skills from start to finish. And yes, there is a CIFA that will uh, generate, uh, if you go to the BIP builder, you can build an actual BIP. Skills even has IEP goals in there. So if you needed to write a, a, an IEP pro, uh, you know, report for an IEP meeting, you could do that as well. They additionally ask, can our BCBA assign a school shadow if our IEP indicates it is needed, either paid for by the school district? And what if we use our medical insurance? Yeah, if you use your medical insurance, your insurance carrier, so that would be uh, your health ca carriers, whatever it is, Aetna, Cigna, United, etc., will not allow any of this. They will not allow your BCBA to uh, work on an IEP report. Uh, they will not allow your BCBA to intervene in the school unless there's a challenging behavior that is prevalent in the school, then the BCBA can certainly write a program for it. Um, but uh, so all of that aside, if it is, yes, if, you're, if the payment is either from you or from the school district, then your BCBA can definitely work with whoever the shadow is in school. Now, some payers, some insurance company, healthcare, medical insurance companies will accept the fact that when our kids have a lot of challenging behaviors, they can't go to school. So uh, they, in, in very specific cases, will allow the BCBA to get involved with talking to school shadows or even assigning a therapist to be a school shadow, but only in, in specific cases where the health insurance has decided that it is medically necessary, those are the words, medical necessity to do that. So in most cases, you're not able to, we are not, the BCBA is not able to intervene in the school. Okay, that's a big question, but I love it. Uh, somebody wants to know, what could be the reason behind a lot of self-talking and anger issues up to the extent of hurting himself and others? And they're asking for a 14-year-old who is considered high-functioning autistic. 14. Yeah. Uh, self-talk and, and self anger issues and, and hurting himself and others. And others. So if, if it's and others, this, it's a little bit too much for me to want to just give you a brief advice here. Uh, and I also would want to know what the self-talk consists of, uh, because obviously we have a lot of kids who will, so it could be, I'm thinking like multiple different things, right? So the child could have heard uh, someone who is telling them, oh, you did that wrong. And they could be repeating that to themselves, which is a form of self-talk and it is uh, degrading himself and that's anger towards himself or he could just be repeating things that he's heard on TV which have nothing to do with degrading himself um, I don't know what he's saying to himself anger towards self and others is very important and it needs to be dealt with 
and every situation has to have a, a, a what's called a functional behavior assessment. So every instance that there's anger uh, and an expression of anger uh, or any challenging behavior for that matter, you need to understand, we have to figure out what it is that is the function of that anger. In other words, why is he angry? What is he expressing? Is it because someone placed the demand he's trying to get out of? Is it because he uh, is, uh, you know, trying to gain access to something? So the function of each instance of anger is vital before I can give you advice on how to deal with it. And they wrote back in some information that he has a lot of interest in suicide cases. And they said illusional thinking, which I'm not 100% sure what that refers to. Um, but that he's... Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think you're probably right. Um, so uh, a lot of that going on. Um, yeah. And this was a 14-year-old. This is kind of a, a, a little bit of a difficult situation or getting dangerous. I would really do my very best to block his access uh, to things that have to do with suicide or watching things that might be inappropriate. I've had many uh, cases of young teens who go so online and watch really brutal, brutal things, um, and then they become obsessed with it and they start talking about it. And then because they don't quite understand how unsafe or how dangerous it is, they start experimenting with those things and can actually cause harm to themselves or others. So this is a really, very important thing. And I would please ask you to start by really blocking access to all sources that have to do with this type of thing. But, but then also, um, I, I don't know where you're located, but I would really try to get involved with uh, both a, uh, well, let's start with a BCBA. If you can get access to a behavior analyst who can actually sit with you and sit with your child and figure out why a lot of these things are happening uh, they can really help to reorganize things in the home and for him, give him much healthier activities that he can engage himself with. Just like he's obsessing about uh, suicide stuff, he could be obsessing about something great, like a sport activity or, some, or cooking or something else. But he really needs to refocus on something else, and that needs to happen ASAP. I think I just saw the parent wrote right up again and said, uh, yes, this is the situation. And when he is stopped or warned, he broke the mirror and hurt. Um, yeah. So what I want to recommend to you is that, again, as I had mentioned to the other uh, person who was writing and also from Pakistan, I was saying, please don't get a group of people together who can help you. Because one of the most important things when you start working with your children, especially 14-year-old, aggressive 14-year-old, you cannot be afraid of him hurting you or breaking things. Because when a child breaks a mirror and then he hurts someone, you immediately back off and you're like, oh my God, I better be careful here because he's getting aggressive, right? And in his head, what he's learning is, oh, all I have to do is break something and hit someone and I can go back to watching the things I wanted to watch, okay? So that's not what we want because he's learning that it is effective to communicate with aggression. You don't want that. It's, it should not be effective. So what you need is when he breaks a, a mirror or, or if he attempts to be aggressive, you need to have enough people, like maybe a, a men or strong therapists around, who are not afraid when he does those types of things and who can help restrain him, get him involved with something else, 
um, take away the things that, that are breakable, like the mayor and so on, that's called antecedent control, put it in an environment. And, you know, by the way, if you take away things that can become dangerous if they're broken, like a mirror, um, and if he breaks other things, let him break it. Like, don't give attention to that. Still take away the, the source of watching the suicidal stuff. If he breaks a mirror, you can still take away his computer. Or it doesn't have, you know, one thing doesn't have anything to do. It doesn't matter. Eventually he will calm down. And that's why you need to have larger, strong people around so that he doesn't hurt other people and, he, and hurting himself doesn't get serious. He won't get hurt himself to the point that it's serious. If he's hurting himself, it's in order to get your attention and get you to realize or to think, oh, I'm serious about this. So, you know, you need to have a team of people. I can't tell you the number of times a parent has told me, I'm afraid of my child. I'm afraid of my child. And so I really want you to get enough people around you that you never feel you're afraid of your child because he is 14. You still have time to teach him aggression is not okay. No matter what, aggression is not okay. And if you don't teach it to him now, believe me, it's harder when he's 17. Yeah. And I just want to add to that. Don't be afraid to take the things that you care about that you don't want to be broken and lock them up someplace. You know, even if for three months, you like there's no mirrors in the house, you'll survive that. But it takes away that paycheck um, and it makes it harder for them because it's very hard, as you know, Dr. Grampiche, for us to have a non-reaction when they're about to break an heirloom that's, you know, was your grandmother's. But now is a great time to lock that away. Just put it away. Yeah. You can take it back out when this is under control. And, and I know that it's also extremely hard because we have guilt towards our kids. And so like we feel bad about taking stuff away and we feel bad about not allowing them to watch stuff on but that's, that's what's the destructive power. We cannot be guilty. We cannot feel guilty about being strict on this condition. You know, aggression to self and others is a very serious matter. Watching stuff that they shouldn't be watching is take away his hammer. I just saw that the parent wrote, take yes. away the hammer. Literally take away the things that allow him to be that aggressive. Yeah. Even if you have to like wait until he goes to bed tonight and then go through the house and lock all that stuff up, find a place and put all that stuff. All right. We're almost out of time. I want to squeeze in at least one or two more questions. Can I ask, my daughter has now been given a diagnosis with PDA as well as autism. Do you know anything about this? I do not know what PDA stands for. I'm thinking it's, it's, they probably mean PDD, NOS. Maybe. Right? But PDD-NOS is kind of an older diagnosis, which stands for pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. That's the NOS. And essentially all that means is sort of a higher functioning autism. And it's if they've gotten of, an autism diagnosis since then, then the autism diagnosis would sort of override that, right? I mean, yes. It, it makes no sense to say PDD anymore. Got it. And then I'm going to, unfortunately, I'm not going to get to all of them here, but I'm going to end on this one because hopefully this will be a quick answer. Can kids who get ABA also have CBT therapy? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think that our uh, higher curriculum areas, so what we do in the cognition, executive functioning, those areas, those areas are... Uh, more or less the same, very similar or more or less the same as cognitive behavior therapy. Because okay. when ABA goes into CBT. Okay, wonderful. But that other parent wrote in and said that the PDA stands for pathological demand avoidance. Well, we all avoid demands. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. So 
And if it's pathological, then basically it needs to, it means that it, the person is perhaps either overreacting or is uh, either out of like, you know, reacting to things that are not necessarily there. So um, I have not, I, I do not know enough about this term. And uh, if it is anxiety related, then I would definitely suggest some of the anxiety uh, treatments, but also, you know, anything that has to do with demand avoidance should be dealt with, with behavioral therapy, which has to do with not allowing the uh, thing to be avoided. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I don't know enough about it to give you advice. All right. Well, uh, unfortunately we're out of time and we have to let Dr. Grampy-Shea go, but I just want to thank you. And somebody else wrote in and said their heartfelt thanks as well, Dr. Grampy-Shea for being here and being with us. We are back tomorrow and because it's, uh, AAC month, AAC awareness month, we have two wonderful guests that are going to be with us tomorrow. Mike Hipple, who is a wonderful advocate for functional communication and communication devices. That is how he communicates. He will be with us tomorrow. He's been on the show before. It's a just a special treat to have him on the show. We will be talking about the importance of giving everyone a way to communicate tomorrow. And that sometimes that means giving them a device and he'll be showing you how he uses his and why AAC Awareness Month is so important to him. So, uh, and then we're back on Friday with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. So that's all the time we have today, but thank you so much for being here with us. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and uh, and one for you as well. And thank you, Dr. Grampy Shane. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. For now.